0: Hello and welcome to the Resolution podcast. Today we are joined by Her Honour Judge Roberts and His Honour Judge Hess in order to give us a view from the judiciary about current issues in family law and the court system. Two
1: very eminent guests indeed. Her Honour Judge Roberts is the designated family judge at the Central Family Court and the National Lead Judge for Divorce. Before joining the bench, she was a solicitor and ran the family department of her firm for 10 years. His Honour Judge Hess is the lead judge of the London Financial Remedy Court and the deputy national lead judge of the Financial Remedies Court. He's also co-chair of the Pension Advisory Group. Before joining the bench, he practised at the bar for 25 years. So I think something that's going to be on a lot of members' minds is the transition out of the pandemic and back to normal post-pandemic life and what that's going to mean in the family courts in terms of remote hearings. I think all of us found lots of positives around remote hearings and also found lots of negatives. And we're interested in knowing uh, from both of you, really, how you think that balance is going to work in future both in children and, um, and financial cases?
2: Well, if I start off with saying something about children, I think we're generally now an attended court. Um, I, I know there are different arrangements in different courts, but speaking for CFC, it, we're, we are basically attended with a few exceptions. And the exceptions are, for example, experts who usually now give evidence remotely and people who are living a long way from court, as long as it's not um, the, the final hearing or a, a hearing where they're going to give evidence, we would be—we're happy for them to attend remotely. We're also doing urgent business remotely, and the most urgent things like an interim care order where a mother is still in hospital with a baby—it it would make sense—and we do expect her, unless she wishes to come, to to attend remotely. But Although it was a, it was fantastic that we could keep things going by using technology, we generally find that we get better quality hearings, better negotiation, more settlements, all those things if people attend. So we are on, on the children's side, we're pretty keen for people to attend and really rather unkeen on the excuses we sometimes get oh the only barrister we could find to attend will only attend remotely because i think those days are now past so that's it from the children's side
3: so from the financial side and i speak primarily for london but i'll give you the answer for the country as a whole as well the farquhar committee looked at this very carefully and they came out with some pretty clear recommendations which essentially are these that the first appointments and directions type appointments should be dealt with online as a default position and FDRs and final hearings or anywhere where someone's giving evidence should be dealt with um, and, on an attended basis as a default position and most of the country have adopted that pattern there are some areas where they prefer to have attended hearings even for first appointments but in London we've we decided to keep first appointments, generally speaking, to be remote. I think our view is that directions hearing can be conducted just as well remotely. There's no particular benefit in anyone being there. I think we very strongly feel with FDRs that it's better for promoting negotiation that everybody's there so that you can feel the the energies and the and the, uh, the personalities involved more than online and with final hearings and people giving evidence we think that's probably right but there's an exception for professional expert witnesses and if people who are overseas apply to come to attend the hearing from overseas we normally would allow that unless there's some particular reason for it so that's the pattern certainly in london and for most of the country
0: Do you think that's going to be the case for the for the long term, is this something you're going to keep is, under review?
3: Yes, this is very much a, a post COVID decision. I think we feel COVID is not playing I funny enough in the last week of... have uh, two two friends have just gone down with COVID, so it's a bit premature to say that COVID is is finished. Uh, we have two finished,
2: judges down today. You're lucky, but two judges down. Maybe on coming it. back, uh,
3: but um, I think we feel certainly as far as the way that the courts operate things, then we are living in the post-COVID era, and so see no reason why that decision shouldn't carry on permanently from now onwards.
0: Mm. I think from the bar's perspective, we probably find it disappointing to hear the judiciary saying that there's a a lower settlement rate if we're not all in the in the building because obviously the bar is
2: probably quite
0: keen to keep a level of remote hearing the only thing I would say for that is that doesn't seem to apply in the same way if we're doing for example private FDRs or arbitrations we seem to be able to run those all remotely do you have a view why that would be different
3: well, private FDRs, I think, occur in a number of different different ways. I think we feel, if you if you, if you look at the detail of the Farquhar report and the way they analysed this and what people thought, there were different views on this. And judges fairly clearly took the view that an attended FDR was most likely to lead to a negotiated settlement. Practitioners took the view that it was the other way around. And as it happened... Because it's the judge deciding, we decided to go with the judge's views. But uh, I, there, there is another interest here. I think we're very well aware of that. Lawyers are, are, are quite happy to not not have to come into um, court, and there may be lots of competing motivations for, for all that. Aware of some some good ones and some bad ones. But I think, as a judge, certainly at an FDR, I've done many uh, during COVID, which was uh, which was right, and many. Obviously attended, and I certainly feel—I was quite strongly feel—that you can get a sense of whether this is where this is going, where this negotiation is going. If you do them online, then you tend to lose lose people when when they're turned off. You can never really quite get it back in quite the same way. You don't really know whether people are actually talking to each other when you when you turn off your computer. I'm sure there are cases which are done perfectly well online and the other way around but I think that that's certainly a, a fairly strong judicial view that that's uh, e- even more in fact than uh, and final hearings in fact that uh, the FDRs should be
0: mm-hmm. yes okay I can see why that might be you might get more of a sense of negotiations or need more of a sense of the negotiations for the FDR I can see that and I know that you're Bringing us all absolutely up to date with the technology when it comes to the new contested cases digital portal, which I have to confess I don't know a lot about, um, but my understanding is that's that's a mechanism of all the evidence being uploaded so that the judge and uh, it can be immediately served on the uh, on the other side. But tell me if that's not right. Well,
3: um, I'm sure uh, Judge Roberts will want to say something about it in the public law sector. But in the money sector, you may be aware that for consent orders, we introduced the digital scheme in August 2020. And we mandated it then basically saying you could, it. that's the only way you could do it from November 2020. And, and we went from about 15% of orders on this system to almost 100%. And we now uh, process about 32,000 consent orders a year around the country. It's working very efficiently, tell me if you don't agree, but uh, the the statistics tell me, and I get them very regularly, almost all of those cases are done within a couple of weeks. Uh, And it's a very, very rapid turnaround, which is, in marked contrast to what it was before when they were done at the regional divorce centres all on paper. And so I think everyone welcomes that. But its um, its younger brother, the contested scheme, has been more difficult to bring in. But uh, we're on the verge of announcing um, a massive acceleration of that. Um, within the next few weeks, there will be else publicity nationally and in London saying you must start using this and then from a date to be fixed, which I think will be December stroke January of next year, December this year, January next year, it will be mandated again. So that's the only way you can upload documents. So that includes Form Z, questionnaires, case summaries for lawyers, bundles, very importantly, and we're going to say from a date, you must load them up onto the system. That's the only way we will accept them. We're just waiting for formal approval from for that strategy or more particularly for that timetable from on high. But I think that will happen in the next few weeks. And once that's been done, it will be a, an extra move towards that. So certainly lawyers need to know about it. And can I urge you to tell your colleagues about it? Because if you, if you haven't really got your head around it yet, you need to. And... Um, the it's very easy for solicitors to use it usually fairly familiar with it barristers tend to be less familiar with it but they can join through their chambers or even personally and then they can just upload any case summaries onto the system i think within a year's time we will look back and say why did we do it any other way but it, there's going to be a, a difficult transitional year when people are not quite sure how it, how it works but once you try it It actually works okay.
0: And you're you're light years ahead of us on the Children Act side, aren't you?
2: The FPL, which is the the children, the public law children side of it, it is used now for any case. Certainly, CFC issued this year, more or less, and I think that more or less applies across the country as well. I can't say it's a great system. I'm not an IT sort of person, but those who are tell me that it's it's out of date, it's clunky, it's not very good. However, it does work. It does do what it needs to do. And at CFC, we have the the great asset of His Honour Judge, Jaron Lewis, who does understand all these things and wants to get it right. And he has, I think only today, has sent out a guide to all the solicitors. Um, And I think there'll be another one for barristers. Uh, uh, about how how to use it, and as far as I can see, he's developed it more in the last say three or four months than it, it than it happened at all during the piloting of it. So we are now making it into a much more user-friendly product for everybody. He has given talks to solicitors. I think he's going to we well, are discussed with him this morning. I think he's going to give a talk for barristers if they want it about how to use it. And it's also important, because I know a lot of resolution members don't do public law but do private law, it is imminent that it's going to be in the private law world as well. I haven't seen it. It's obviously going to be more difficult to get one's head around it with private law because, for example, litigants in person, which private law is full of, they aren't going to be given access to it. So I think their contributions will be uploaded by bulk scanning so i don't quite know how it's going to work it is being piloted i think at east london jaron is going to go and have a look at that so that he wants to get in there early this time and make it better before it hits us but it is coming so solicitors and i will particularly emphasize this barristers who are very good at looking at me blankly when i refer to the portal in court these days really have to get with the program it's not going away
1: and, Judge Hess, does that apply as well in financial proceedings that litigants in person can't, don't participate in the portal?
3: Yes, I'm afraid it does. And the, what Judge Robert said about the bulk scanning centre, which is a factory in um, Harlem, I think, I think, yeah, uh, and all, all, all these documents end up there. It's not ideal, But I think the developers of it thought that it was best to get the thing going with solicitors. And then I think in due course, it will be extended solicitors in person in some way. But we're not there yet. In uh, financial remedies law, something like 70% have representation, 30% don't. So it's a containable problem. In private law, it's more the other way around that uh, 70% of people doing private law don't actually have Lawyer, so it is, it is actually quite a significant problem for pri- private law, which those developing it will have to do their best to to overcome. But it's sh- it's going to be pretty much the same the same system for all of these, and for judges, you can get access to all all of them from one on one website.
2: And um, um, oh, yes, on that point, I think I should mention that I've been uh, making a lot of noise for a long time about the security side of it because I don't like the fact that anybody who's got access to the system can look at anything. It's the old idea of lock and key because we physically used to lock these cases up. I am making a lot of noise about it. I spoke with the president about it on Friday because he agrees with me. It needs to be dealt with. But that, again, has been put off, I think, until next year. There's a kind of interim arrangement which provides some security. But if you've really got a hugely sensitive divorce, I don't mind if you run it by me first as to whether we should do it some other way.
1: I thought I saw some guidance last week about lock and key cases under this procedure, but that's probably the interim
2: that's measure. That's pre- the interim, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think any all members of staff, for example, should have access to it, no. um, which they wouldn't have done under the old locking it in a safe. So it, it's it, there's a lot of there are many aspects to it, and it, it bothers me, but it is definitely on our radar.
1: And and I suppose for. Listeners who haven't come across the lock and key procedure, we're talking really here about cases where there would be a significant, when I say public interest, I mean the public would be interested in the details of the people.
2: Uh, You put it it well, yes. The prurient reader would find it very interesting. I mean, clearly in the new divorce law, there's nothing of interest in it, but the very fact that X and Y are getting divorced, could make the the front page of the sun which it shouldn't do necessarily and the old private law case and clearly in the money cases you know we do you're or aware of some of those sort of cases so it it, it has to be it has to be managed
1: thank you it's good to know that people are thinking about it and and that you know individual cases can be dealt with on a case by case basis if people are worried rather than just feeling they need to upload everything and cross their fingers there's been an awful lot of moves recently for reasons i suppose to do with high profile cases being reported but also to do i think with a quite a significant shift in cultural mindset been quite a lot, there's been a lot of developments in the field of how vulnerable witnesses should be dealt with in court proceedings. I know that's something, Judge Roberts, that you've been very interested in. Is there anything that you'd like to take this opportunity to bring us up to date as far as that was concerned?
2: I think in many ways the the definition of vulnerable witnesses and vulnerable parties is expanding all the time. You, You could say that in a large number of our cases one or more of the people involved are are vulnerable and I suppose that the trite thing to say is as much as possible keep them out of court by settling your cases and I know everybody tries to but I think I mean I used to be a solicitor and if I had that sort of client I would have always attended with counsel if I'd instructed counsel. I know those days on legal aid have gone but I think you can probably Justify that? I don't know. I'm I'm talking out of turn, really. I, I I hope you can justify that because I think the rapport that that sort of litigant has with their solicitor can be key. If that's not possible, then surely meeting counsel for the hearing. We are always amenable to having that that litigant or witness looking round the court first. That does seem to help. I think language matters a lot, particularly if somebody who has to give evidence is on the autistic spectrum i think we we could all do better with how we put our questions to people in that position generally open questions and not being at all aggressive really because if you freak that witness out you're it's it's not going to help anybody we we like to avoid children giving evidence as much as possible clearly the REW hearings happen, but generally I think we find that children don't need to give evidence. And there is a lot of work going on in, in the criminal world to get the child's evidence on tape first in a way that we could also use, but it's proving very difficult to move that along. But I know um, I think it's Carol Atkinson in East is working on that. In terms of whether... I mean, I had a a, a lady last week who didn't want to, she wanted to come to court, but she didn't want to come into the courtroom. So she gave her, she, she attended remotely from one of the conference rooms. So I, I like to think we're flexible. Now, I, I don't think any of that was particularly innovative, but those are the sort of things. Um, we should have ground rules hearing where necessary. We're so pressed for time. You may find people try to fudge that, but where it's necessary, you should ask for them.
1: Thank you. Anything on the financial remedies
3: side? Well, it, it's obviously far less of an issue in financial remedies, but it does occur. Uh, I think the the thing we're watching with interest is the new powers to appoint people to cross-examine in these scenarios. And I haven't personally had a case on that yet. It's uh, but it is yet, it is available, and I believe there's a panel of people who are able to cross-examine in these circumstances. I think there's there's an anxiety amongst financial practitioners that the amount of money they might get paid might, might not attract the right uh, the uh, uh, enough interest to, to fill the spaces available. I think we'll have to watch this watch this space. It's it's asking quite a lot of somebody to come and cross examine in a in a complicated case with a thousand documents for the amount of money which the government is putting up on legal aid, but. When somebody is vulnerable and when somebody is questioning, is cross-examining or likes to cross-examine in a way which is going to cause difficulties, it's something which we have to have to bear in mind, certainly.
1: I confess I haven't thought that the, those cross-examination provisions would apply in financial remedy proceedings as well as in injunction and private proceedings, but of course they
3: would, potentially. They, they do, and so... so it's a classic scenario where you, you get a, a, one nervous party and one overbearing party who happens to be significant in person should you allow the cross-examination by that person if it can be very complicated financially is, is somebody coming in really going to do it do it justice i don't know i think the jury's out we're, we're going to have to see how how it works but it does the the rules certainly apply in financial cases as
0: well I suppose the safety net of the judge putting some questions will always be there, even if you have someone coming in.
3: Yes, and I think that might quite often be part of the solution as as well as somebody coming in. Yeah, I don't think that's going to go away.
0: As you're aware, one of resolution's aims is to remove regional discrepancies in terms of outcome. And I wanted to ask whether you considered the Financial Remedy Court is making progress in achieving that.
3: This is something that uh, we debated at length on the Family Justice Council needs group when this came up. And when one says, well, the results are different in some parts of the country to the others, sometimes it's due to the fact of there's more money in some parts of the country than others and people are earning more and the house prices are more. So it sort of seems, it seems they're being inconsistent but they aren't necessarily being consistent. But I know one of the purposes of that group and the report there was to try and make this a bit more transparent and try and eliminate some of the differences. And certainly the, the sorts of measures which we've been trying to, to use, for example, the publication of smaller money cases, we've been doing that on the Financial Remedies Journal website Specifically, having judge- recording judgments, publishing judgments from district judges or circuit judges or reporters j- dealing with cases well below high court judge level, to to sh- to give a comparator for what uh, happens in a in a smaller case, I think that's been helpful. I think the creation of the financial remedies court also is helpful, and so we have meetings of the lead judges of the financial remedies courts. Uh, we've got the annual meeting coming up um, in a couple of weeks' time, where all judges get together, and we discuss as lead judges how we're dealing with cases both procedurally and substantially. And I'd, I'd like to think that those those steps would eliminate some of the differences that were that certainly were talked about anecdotally in in the in the past. I think I think they have moved in that direction, but it's quite difficult to to measure it. It is pretty anecdotal these things so different people could have different views but uh, i think all of those measures certainly would push the thing in the right in the right direction so that for example the one which was always cited was that in the old prfd when judge roberts and i were district judges there <laughs> it was always thought that joint lives maintenance orders were very common and it was quite difficult to argue against it whereas in the further you went from london it was m- more difficult to do that my perception is that is that that's changed and that a joint lives orders have become slightly less fashionable than they were but b that the the practices has more or less become fairly common around the around the country and it's, it's the differences are not what, what not what they were but uh very difficult to quantify
0: yes um for what it's worth i think i think that's what most of us would say that the idea that there were these big differences across the country have have certainly lessened. But yes, the, the, the classic one is whether maintenance is dealt with differently in the southeast than it is further away. And that's but of course I take your point that incomes in the southeast may may mean the, the awards are more, more common in, in our area.
1: Yes. We have just recorded an episode about crypto assets. Is the Central Family Court dealing with many cases involving crypto assets? And also, we were given the impression that the crypto asset companies have been quite responsive when they've been served with court orders, but that there can be issues with even finding a mechanism to serve them. Has that been an issue in your experience?
3: Certainly in the London FRC, this comes up quite a lot, and I think this is a national thing. And we had a seminar for all the London FRC judges the other day back in June and we had four leading experts on crypto uh, assets and we uh, had a, a really good session in an hour, hour and a half going through it all, trying to explain to the judges how it all works and I think that was helpful.
2: Especially on my behalf, yeah. <laughs> <It was> way
3: over
2: <laughs> <in> my head. <laughs>
3: And so I think we all found that was helpful. But I think we're all aware that it's jolly complicated, and it does raise a lot of questions in terms of this disclosure. And the thing, sort of things we're we're looking at, are possibly having standard family orders for crypto cases. I think we may not do that immediately now, because I think we. Field some more work needs to be done done on it before, but that may follow um further down the line and a bit more education i think something going into the judicial college to to have some explanations to judges generally about, about how it how it works i think uh, was it something that you that you said that uh, in your question that generally speak, you you're finding that the cryptocurrency authorities such as they are. Are more amenable to disclosure orders than one than might expect. I think that's my experience also. But you don't always get to the answers. I've certainly had cases where one litigant ends up very suspicious that, it's, that the matter has not been um, investigated adequately, and everybody else, or the lawyers, are thinking, "Well, we can't. There's what, what more can we actually do uh, uh, about about this?" I think it is a problem. I think the fact that cryptocurrencies have had a bit of a bad name recently. They, they seem to have lost a lot of their value recently. Um, it's, it's probably discouraged people, so it's possible it might it might become less of a, an issue in, in the future. I don't know. But we're certainly well aware and on the case. Somebody's about to write a book about it, which is about to be published. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that will be interesting to, to have a look at. But... As judges, we're certainly aware of the problem. We're doing 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 all we can, and on an individual case-by-case basis, we try to get to the bottom of, of the issues, just just like everything else.
0: I mean, crypto assets are phenomenally complex. We've just we've literally just recorded a a podcast about it and understanding the structures and the blockchains and the. Uh, yeah trying to chase them it it is clearly going to be a difficulty but our two speakers on that podcast they were certainly of the view it isn't it isn't a form of investment that is going away and if if anything it's a form of investment that's more and more likely to make up parts of certainly people with larger portfolios possibly
3: yes um we'll have to see how it goes but um I don't know what, if, if there's a if there's a feeling that we should move more swiftly to having cryptocurrency as standard family orders. That certainly I'd, I'd certainly be uh, willing to hear that from people. But um, it tends to be sort of few people are very interested in it, and 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 most people slightly shy away from it. I've heard the suggestion that there might be a cryptocurrency advisory group, rather a bit like the pensions advisory group, but. That idea hasn't quite uh, got off the ground yet. But I think we're all aware that it is an issue which we need to need to tackle. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Thank you. So as you're both aware, Resolution was very much involved with campaigning for the change to divorce law and no fault divorce. And Judge Roberts, I think I'm right in saying you're the lead judge for divorce cases uh, nationally. Are you able to help us? And I know the change hasn't been in place for that long. But are you able to help us with any experience of, of the change after the first few months? Has it been a positive difference? Yes,
2: yes. I, I can get quite enthusiastic about this. I think it's a, a portal that works. And in fact, resolution members have played a very key part in it developing and in, and in it working well. Graham Fraser was on the working group looking at the new rules. I know that Juliet Harvey and I think Karen Doverston regularly meet with people who run the portal to, to feed in information. Oliver Gravel as well has been well, various people. I mean, it's been really a collaborative effort. I do think it's working well. Litigants in person are able to manage it easily and generally I think the solicitors are finding it uh, it works well the first conditional orders or decree nice size as we decrease nice as we used to call them were made um, I think it was on Thursday last week so we've got through that that big hurdle and we have a few weeks to put the final touches to the final orders about eleven and a half thousand a month are coming through it's roughly the same level of Applications as petitions under previous law. The the Gazette, the Law Society Gazette, about a week ago, put out what I thought was a very unfortunate spin about um, the number of joint applications. Now, as you all know, we couldn't apply jointly under the um, old law. You can now do it, and to my mind, and uh, the fact that 20% are applying jointly. Is really quite something because it's just not part of the general ethos or ethos is the wrong word the general perception of how you get a divorce so we need to we have to give people time so that it becomes something people hear about and I think the 20% will go up it's higher than I expected at this at this stage anyhow it can get a bit more complicated if you apply jointly if you then fall out which obviously as you're divorcing isn't that surprising but it's still worth doing because of the feeling that you've both done this together and it isn't so-and-so against so-and-so. As far as issues arising, I've got to look at a few service issues. I think service is always was going to be the area where um, we, we we struggled in the working group, de- developing the rules and the practice direction to, to get it right because we want to, although we want to use up-to-date technology, we also want to be pretty sure that both parties know about the divorce because I spend quite a lot of my time doing applications now brought by the Queen's Proctor to set aside decrees where uh, one party didn't know that they were divorced. So I'm not convinced that we've got it right yet on service, but uh, we'll see. Certainly nothing significant in would need to be changed there just might need to be the odd tweak and I think in the long term it it is going to take the acrimony out of divorce my fear of course is is that acrimony going to pop up in financial or children proceedings and it, it is too early to tell if that will happen with luck it will just bring about a different attitude and approach to separating couples
1: Thank you very much. Quickly moving on, I suppose, to the subject of recruitment. Judge Roberts, you were a solicitor for many years. Judge Hess, you were at the bar. It's clearly possible for people to move into the judiciary from both sides of the the legal profession, but I think the overwhelming numbers are in favour of the bar. I was just wondering whether you both think that we have the judiciary that we need and if not, what we can do within all the constraints to improve the situation?
2: I think I'll go first because (laughs) Edward knows I feel very strongly about this issue and it's an issue that I raise whenever I can as a former, proud former solicitor. I think we, we haven't got it right at all. My personal view is that the JAC appointment system is biased against solicitors Not intentionally, I'm sure, but the way it it works, I think, is going to is always going to produce more barrister judges. What I'm pleased about when I think, when we looked at the original question was that it wasn't just about getting solicitors to be judges. It's getting solicitors to be senior judges, not just at the district judge and circuit judge level, but in the High Court, the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court. And because there's always this assumption that solicitors are going to apply to be DDJs and become maybe district judges and barristers will become recorders and then become circuit judges. So one thing is, I think, solicitors should also think about applying to be recorders. But there are these senior appointments, for example, Section 9 judge, so you're a deputy high court judge. Solicitors should go for that as well as going for high court appointments. And I've been doing some research when I knew I was going to be asked about this. And I think partly to counterbalance what I see as the bias in the JAC system, I think solicitors do need to do more advocacy because it's not just so that your face is known, but I think the sort the way that the whole JAC um, forms and then the interview and sometimes it's role play works is that if you've got advocacy experience, it helps. And also for solicitors who are planning to make an application, especially at a higher level, it, it sh- they shouldn't just be thinking about it for next year, but be planning maybe a three year plan. And if possible, they should, instead of where you might reach a stage in a case where oh I'll go and instruct a silk, you make those decisions and you carry them out. You make that call because where I understand from my research that sometimes solicitors are not getting through to these higher appointments is that where you get to that sort of level of decision-making, solicitors often defer to counsel, often silks, and cannot therefore evidence in the applications and the interviews that they have made the, the most crucial high-level decisions because for these higher appointments you have to show outstanding what might be exceptional it's one of those two words intellectual ability and those are the sort of things they're looking for so those are I hope some practical things which solicitors should think about but I could go on at great length about it because apart from anything else if we get more solicitors in we'll get more black people in and that's something else we, we, we haven't got the judiciary we should have so, I am extremely keen for solicitors to to apply to apply at all levels of judiciary, to have confidence, and I think you, you, your, your training is is there, setting you up beautifully to to be a judge, so go for it.
0: Well, and also, if I can add in, it it, it would lead to also more women achieving the higher levels of judiciary, which is concern <laughs> for us all need
3: so if i if I follow up i I, think I may avoid getting into the uh, dispute between barristers' and solicitors if you, you don 't mind perhaps take, take a slightly different uh, angle that I think from the inside of the judiciary i 'm sure judge Roberts would, would agree we are we don 't have enough judges at the moment, and certainly for the level of work in family law, but I think this applies in other parts of the law as well. There are not enough judges to deal with the, the cases that we have in a, in a way which is at acceptable level, and that does vary around the country as with well as other things. In the southeast, it's a, it's a very a very big problem. So, for example, at uh, the recent appointments of dis- district judges, they didn't get enough people applying who wanted to come to the south of England, and so as a result of that, there are high vacancy rates which creates huge problems in some courts it's different it does vary from court to court but it's it does uh, there are a lot of vacancy rates in the southeast of england and so that's that's a significant problem the probably the thing which causes that i think most of all is the perception that uh, you get paid more private practice than you do as a judge which is probably true of certainly in financial remedies world. Well, I think it's definitely true. I, I would like to put out the message to everyone, solicitors, barristers, and anybody qualified, uh, that it's a it's a really interesting life. I've loved being a judge for twelve years. I've been a full time judge. I've loved it. I've loved it all. I've been district judge and a circuit judge, and I've loved all, all the sides of it. And uh, uh, I, I would urge people not to not to hold back, but to apply, and uh, we we need you, we need you there, and uh, I hope uh, that uh, that message will get across. Uh, part of, part of the problem is the is the government not not appointing. Uh, enough people because they don't want to spend more money but part of the problem is that not enough good people come forward so in in the uh particular financial remedies field we will eric i'm interested in that the the difference in what you can earn in private practice and what you can earn as a judge is probably at its most uh, pronounced and that certainly puts people off but uh, i can't deliver higher salaries for for judges but uh, what i think we are beginning to to deliver for financial remedies practitioners is if you apply to be a judge at whatever level, DDJ, DJ, recorder, CJ, that it's much more likely now than it used to be um, that if you want to do financial remedies work, that that's going to be an option. Um, not very long ago, um, it, it wasn't an option at all. And if you were a DDJ or you, you couldn't choose and you were most likely given... Other work, but what with the advent of the FRCs, um, we now specifically advertise for for a day of financial remedies work. So people who are appointed a DDJ or uh, recorder can actually just apply for those if they, if that's what they want to do. And I, I'm quite convinced there are quite a lot of people out there who are happy to be who are money practitioners who would be happy to be judges but don't don't want to do children cases, would like to do money cases. That is now a real a real possibility. And for full timers as well, with the advent of the FRCs, there are much more opportunities for judges around around the country do, doing a lot more of the portion of their work as money work. It's not so very long ago that somebody who's a circuit judge w- would not not have any chance of seeing any money work at all? Perhaps the odd appeal, but no, no, no offence. First instance money work. I think we've cha- we've changed that. Certainly in London now, we have a good number of circuit judges who are able to do, you know, a good portion of their work being money work, and I think that's uh, right and proper. So you can give give the right case to the right judge, making sure complex cases are dealt with by. An experienced district judge or or a circuit judge who's hopefully an expert at what, what they're what they're doing. So an increased professionalism certainly what's, what's what we're trying to achieve, and hopefully that will help with recruitment. But in the end, there's a there is a real problem of of money, and certainly sitting in a judge's chair, we feel that uh, there's greater earnings to be had. On the other side of the bench. We, it may look different from where you're sitting, I don't know.
2: <laughs> Can I just add that um, I spoke to Mrs Justice Tice um, on Friday about this and um, if people are thinking of applying to be deputy district judges I think there's a it's this week she said that an application is being launched and she said that half of the people appointed will be able to do family law work from the start. Um, whereas the system used to be that you had to go off and do housing and goodness knows what, small claims hearings, and you may not want to do that. So they are learning that we're a different kind of lawyer. So look out for that if you if you if that's where you want to start your judicial career. And within
3: week, within that, we've now started the specialist t- training um, for financial remedies judges. So anybody who wants to do financial remedies work. Can go on a, an induction course fairly early on in their career and get an FRC ticket and and do FRC work. That's what they want to do, and I'm encouraged that there are lots of people who do want who do want to do that, and we can now offer that as a, an opportunity for those who want to do it, but not force it down the throats of people who don't want to do it. That's the that's the aim. Hmm.
0: I mean, certainly I know that, um, for example, Children Act practitioners who were considering being district judges and the thought of having to go off to to do civil work was really off-putting for them. So I think the encouragement that, for example, they would just be able to do Children Act would really have an impact, I think, on recruitment.
2: Definitely, yes.
0: Uh, Because otherwise it's just simply learning a whole new new field, isn't it, that no one's familiar with?
3: And 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 also, they wouldn't, don't want to do financial remedies work. They've chosen yes. children's work, and they're frightened of doing financial remedies work. A few years ago, they'd have had to do it. Now that's that's an option to focus on children's work. If that's they want, want to do, and as certainly as a deputy to focus on family rather than civil.
0: Yeah,
1: you would hope as people are beginning to work more flexibly and develop more sort of portfolio careers that it's something that that the part-time judging opportunities are actually something that fits in really well with that aren't they and that's something that ad- addresses the the financial downside if you like Yes, exactly
3: yeah yeah we're very, very dependent on uh fee paid judges uh, both in children and and money and that as you say those people can specialize in it i think it's probably good that they good that they do hmm.
0: Well, that that neatly leads on to the issues of delays in the court system, which I know is something that vexes both of you for quite a lot of the time. What what's the current situation, Judge Roberts, with with children act cases?
2: It's not good. Care cases. You you may find uh, that at an rh in um, this month, you're looking well into next year for a final hearing, and for um, a private children act case, similarly, we we we're doing we we had introduced the system which um, is what most com- most of the country does, which was list in public law cases only to IRH, which was meant to make more settlement at IRHs. Um, that hasn't worked for us. I think. There are various theories, but I think probably it's related to our sheer size. So we've gone back to the old system of listing two final hearings, but it will take some time to work through because we're now listing final hearings at the beginning of cases plus final hearings for those cases already in the system which are approaching RHS. So at the moment, it's it's certainly not good. The, The main thing in all of these private and public law cases, which I cannot emphasize enough, is everything the president has said about making every hearing count, only litigating those issues that have to be litigated. I have to say that repeatedly, on, on, a, on a weekly, if not daily basis, I, I, I have cases in front of me where I do not think that people are are thinking in that way. And they just have to. We used to be rather loath to agreed to vacate a hearing on the basis of an agreed consent order because we felt the children know we need to see it but now we, we're much more likely if it's been well thought out to agree to that because we just don't have time to use on anything which doesn't have to happen but it, 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 is, it is really difficult. The private law cases I have no doubt that the main reason we're in the position we are is because most people don't get um, legal advice from solicitors at an early stage mm. and all that uh, we solicitors used to do under the old green form scheme now under the legal help it doesn't doesn't happen so that you used to sort out the vast majority of of cases that came into your into your office I think the president has said that maybe 20 percent of private law cases should never have uh, come well um that 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 uh, Yes, i have I, no doubt about that. And then, and then within those cases, there'll be applications which are really, really, really don't need to be brought. So everybody needs to recognise that we are in a very difficult place at the moment, and we have to get through it by by the sort of things that the president has been talking about. So we are doing our absolute best. You won't get uh, generally long, long hearings for most cases, um, because it's not necessary. And sometimes that that might be regretted if there's another child and you should have really resolved this issue and that issue, but we're doing our absolute best to recover both from COVID and then the long-term aspects of, of Lesbo.
0: Yeah, so um, lit- unnecessarily litigating issues is that a that's a problem both public law private law i'll suggest in a minute whether it's financial remedy as well but is that something across Um, the spectrum
2: i I, not not so much in public law not really though there is because everybody in it is doesn't have to think about whether they're going to get funding to make this application or that application You, you you we get a reasonable number of applications which um are given a hearing date and then it's not necessary and we just don't have time for that. But I think in private law, at risk of being controversial, I would say that the ones that give us a lot of problems are litigants in person who just want to continue the battle about everything and anything and waste our time. And then at the other end of the spectrum, the very rich who seem to think that um, whether johnny goes to french on friday or french on thursday is something for the judge to decide well um i'm we really don't have time for that and people need to exercise their own pr about those sort of issues so i think it happens at both ends of the spectrum in the private law world
1: i suppose that very last point comes on to to something else which is certainly i'm lucky enough to work in a in a niche environment where an awful lot of my clients can afford alternative ways of resolving their disputes, whether that's with the help of an arbitrator or, in a financial case, with a, a private FDR. Um, and arbitration, of course, isn't used nearly as much as I think it could be and should be in, in private law children cases. To the two of you, presumably, on the one hand, you, you welcome those developments. On the other hand, do you have concerns that we are moving towards a, a two-tier system?
3: In terms of private FDRs and arbitrations and paying for... Services, yeah. I, I can see how it might sometimes appear like that, but I think we very much in the FRC encourage the use of... Those those facilities to resolve disputes. Sometimes, an arbitrator or private FDR tribunal can can be hired for a fraction of the cost of what the what the lawyers on each side are getting. <laughs> so it's not always just for expensive uh, cases. And we have encouraged those Justice Mostyn James Mumby, the current president, all, have all encouraged. Private FDRs developing, and um, I, I think my perception is—I'm not, I haven't got the statistics yet—but my perception is that in in the southeast of England, probably there are as many private FDRs as there are court-based FDRs. Uh, in uh, southwest or in the north or the northwest, they're less less prominent, but they're certainly catching on, and certainly something I've been involved in encouraging. The Financial Remedies Journal has a table of I think now 166 uh, uh, private FDR evaluators who are making themselves uh, available. lot of them give their prices um, on, on there. And uh, so a market is set up. I, th- I think it's a very healthy thing, actually. And it, it, uh, On an individual case, it just gives so much more time to, for, the, for the case to be um, resolved. The court's always there if, it, if everybody falls out at, at the end of it. But I think we think it's a very good thing. Uh, I can see the the argument that is it it a bit like private and public health care? Does does one use that analysis? Well, you could say that. But um, we haven't really got the luxury of not wanting to do that because we simply haven't got the court space available to take all those cases. So we very much um, welcome that. Now, in in financial remedies cases, going back to delay, the Farquhar report again, the other Farquhar report, looked very carefully at, how long cases took around the country and sitting here as the um, lead judge for the London FRC, I'm very conscious that uh, actually London was far worse than um, all, of, all of the other parts of the country and, and the southeast likewise. The statistics were thought to be so bad, they must be wrong, were excluded from his overall conclusions, but... Um, In fact, I think they probably are right. And uh, one of the things I'm working on at the moment is a a reform of the London FRC, which is about to be announced very soon, which will go into operation hopefully early next year, which will try and speed up the times, certainly for the outer London courts. I think, I hope we're not complacent sitting in central family court thinking that we're getting everything right. But the Generally, the time waiting court hearings in the Central Family Court is actually not too bad. Um, In some of the outer London courts, it's not great. And more particularly, the administration has not been great in in nailing down hearing dates, and they tend to get knocked on from one to the other, and a fee paid judge has not been found to be available. So we're completely reforming that system. And the aim is to tighten up. The time which it takes to get another hearing date, so from first appointment to FDR, FDR to final hearing, to a much more acceptable level, so maybe four or five months between first appointment and FDR, and maybe five or six months between FDR and final um, hearing. That's what we're targeting. And if the reforms that I'm introducing bring that about, I shall be very pleased. And uh, what we're doing is targeting more. Fee paid judge sitting in the centre where we're more likely to be able to get them and then in the outer courts, but also finding committed district judges and deputy district judges in the, in the courts all around, just hopefully administering it in a slightly more um, effective um, way. But sitting where I am, certainly in some parts of the country and certainly Central Family Court, it's not too, not too bad in terms of the time I think the private law figures are certainly um, uh, worse. Going to the criminal law, and it's even, even worse than that. So we're, we're better off than some areas. But what I can, what, what I want to assure you is that the judges operating this um, are very much aware of delays and would very much like to do anything possible to bring those delays down. So, for example, when I was DFJ in in Swindon, there was a time during COVID when the time for a, a for Hydra hearing went up to about. 24 weeks or something like that some very unacceptably long time and I made it a priority to try and bring that down we put it down in the end I think to to about 12 weeks but the the, the practice direction talks I think about six to eight weeks doesn't it so it, it, even 12 weeks is was a long time I think the figures in cetera are probably are longer than that we'd all love to get those figures down but we're we're constrained by a number of judges and also the number of applications and as uh, Lynn said the the number of people making applications in private law cases for things which probably wouldn't have got anywhere near a court in a different period because they haven't got the benefit of legal advice telling them don't, don't take that to court, this is a sensible way forward uh, it's a very real problem and I think we make representations to government about it all the, all, all the time and some sort of reintroduction of legal aid would be a very good solution to that but I don't see that happening any any time soon. So we have to uh, work within uh, what, what we've got. But the message is the judges are very well aware that in all areas of law, that the delays are much longer than we would want. And we do try very hard. I think most judges are working extremely hard to try and deal, deal with that. I hope I hope that's perception from the outside, but that's certainly the perception from the inside.
0: Um. I don't think there's any doubt at the bar or at solicitor level that we're all thinking judges are working very hard at the minute. I think we're all well aware of that. Before we close, are you able to share some general practice points that we could, that lawyers, both barristers and solicitors could take away with us? First of all, in, in respect of children at practice. Hmm.
2: I think it, in a private law work, <laughs> we're just so pleased to have you there that um, that that, that you're, you're, you're more or less um, you know a gold star for that because it makes all the difference um, having a lawyer there. What could be done better? I think I tend to pick up that barristers are often being sent papers really late, and I think that should change because I I I am um, pretty keen on well-being not just for the judges but for everybody who practices at CFC and I think that's just fair to I don't think people should be dumped on as much as I think they are from what they say to me unless they're telling me porkies and they aren't always getting the papers at seven o'clock the night before but so I think that's something that could be done better. In care and in private children's work perhaps people could make try even harder to get um, their clients to to manage their expectations put it that way because most cases if we're honest about it you know what the outcome is going to be there's only that small number where nobody knows and I think it would be I I think sometimes maybe it's because it's a, a very inexperienced lawyer working with them or whatever that it seems to come as a great shock to 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 the litigants so I think that could be done a bit better, but generally I think it, it, it's, it's all done. I'm, I'm very happy with the, the lawyers who work with us at CFC.
0: What about our money practitioners?
3: Well, I, I, I think I'd just like to say this. I think we, as judges, are, feel that th- there's too much hostility and confrontation between, between the sides. And, it does seem to be a sort of badge of honour to think in terms of winning battling on the other side. And that translates itself into uh, very hostile and very lengthy questionnaires very often and uh, often case summaries where people say pretty nasty things about about the other side. Perhaps the lawyers feel that they're doing their client service by, do, by doing those things. Uh, but quite often that doesn't really help, and certainly doesn't help in getting a solution to the case. And what it does do is in- increase the costs. And we're certainly noticing as judges that the costs in financial remedies cases are very high and unnecessarily high and disproportionately high. And um, you've probably read some of Mr Justice Mossman's judgments, which make that point in his inevitable style. And I think that, that's a view held by a lot of judges and we're looking at ways of seeing how that could be contained. One of the things that we're looking at at the moment is using the single lawyer model. Uh, the Divorce surgery is one one of those which seems to be very good uh, to, to try and cut out some of that uh, confrontation and hostility. And there obviously are cases where people behave badly and a bit of hostility and confrontation is necessary but there are an awful lot of cases where that's not right and most people are just trying to muddle through what is a difficult position for them and they find themselves inflamed by allegations and suggestions made probably unnecessarily with consequences which are pretty horrendous so I think that's probably an issue which we're talking about as judges quite a lot at the moment.
0: Is that also right for private law Judge Roberts that you find there can be too much acrimony in the presentation. Um,
2: uh, yes, again, tends to be, I might be being unfair, but I think it tends to be where there's money that happens. You don't tend to see it so much where one or, or both parties are, are legally aided. But yes, it, it that is a problem. And when you know you've got barristers, or solicitors in front of you who you know are good at negotiating and at taking heat out, heat out of it, you feel much more hopeful about that day and that your chances of helping that family. It's rare that the, that hostility, hostility and um, nastiness actually helps, I think.
1: Interesting, isn't it? Because it goes right back to Resolution's founding principles was precisely to take that sort of... Feeling out of out of family law, and it, it's interesting that your perception is that it's it's creeping back in. Mm. That's something certainly that would be be of concern, and that we ought all to be trying to address. Because of, you know, of, the founding principle is that families should be able to sort out these difficulties without recourse to, to hostility, and that that was a huge part of the motivation for trying to change the divorce law to to stop people starting on on the worst possible foot. I um, think it's,
2: it's unfortunate, that, I have to be careful how I put this, but the so many cases now involve allegations of coercive and controlling behaviour, so many private law cases, etc. So it's not really surprising if things are getting more hostile rather than less.
1: Yeah, indeed. and And it's possible, of course, that... That relationships are becoming more hostile as well, or the breakdowns becoming more hostile, and, and it's mainly being reflected in in court in in the way people behave in court. But um, I suspect you're both right that there's also something to do with the lawyers' approach as well that we ought to, ought to all think about. Anything that we're doing well as a uh, as as lawyers.
3: <laughs> yes, I know. I, always uh, uh, hardly a day goes by when i don't find myself impressed by the, some work that's been been done and as if we if we have a good lawyer in front of us it makes our job so much easier we very much welcome uh, welcome that so i think we should as well as expressing our anxiety about the things we have, we should say thank you for all, all that you do. So in yeah. children's cases, if you get a lawyer there, you also like it. In, in money cases, you've you got a lawyer there much more frequently. But if you've got a lawyer there in a money case who knows what, what he or she is talking about and de- deals with the with, with economy of words and in a non-confrontational way, it's a, it's a joy to, to, to be part of it. So thank yes. you.
2: Yes, oh, I, I, I echo that absolutely and knowing how busy everybody is, the, the, the concise case summaries that come through and the, and the, the bundles and all those you know, just backroom work, um, they, they are appreciated and um, um, it, so yes, we are always very pleased to see you <laughs> we're very grateful. Thank you both,
1: that was, um, that was really interesting and insightful.